um, loses its punch, um, just the love and care that you show to us. And so our family is it's blessed and we know it. And I say this uh, often, but I want you to know, we know what you do for us, the kind words you give to us, uh, the gifts and blessings you honor us with. Uh, we know we're not entitled to that. We don't expect it. We don't take it for granted. Uh, and I want you to know that we know you're not obligated to give it. Uh, we know it's a blessing and an expression of love. And I hope you know that we, we receive it that way. And so thank you, church. Thank you for five wonderful years. I mean, it's, uh, it's been a terrific and a blessed time uh, together. And those of you who are newer uh, feel as much a part of um, this fellowship as those who've been here uh, forever. And so... Um, anyway, we were truly blessed. And I want to say thanks to uh, Fletcher uh, for standing in for me a couple of weeks ago, and of course for JoJo too. Um, it's been a long time since I was worried about being gone, that y'all might want to replace me when I get back. Um, <laughs> but after hearing Kevin uh, last time I was out, and now Fletcher listened to their sermons online, I figured I better get back as quick as possible uh, because <laughs> God has blessed us, hasn't he? I mean, it's a rare thing uh, for God to choose uh, to invest uh, this type of giftedness uh, in our staff and, and leadership and love for his word and for his church. And so I praise God for it. I really do for both of those men and for Jojo too. Let's look together at the Ephesian letter. Um, if you don't have a Bible today, these words will be on the screen. And if you don't have a Bible in your life, we don't want anyone leaving here today without a good, reliable word of God. And so uh, you take one, we've got those on the back table for you. They're laid out there, you can't miss them. And if you need that in your life, you don't have that in your life, you take it right with you. There's no cost to you, we want you to have it. If you need help with that, if you say, I've got it now, what do I do with it? You come see us, email me, call me, uh, come sit down in the office. I'd be delighted, honored uh, to help you get on a good path of, of reading and going through God's Word together. The Ephesian letter um, has laid out powerfully for us in the first few chapters uh, the magnificent grace of God. If you missed the sermon series at that time, go back when you get home and read the first chapters of Ephesians. Uh, the Apostle Paul stretches the bounds of human language to try to gather in, uh, to try to, to capture for us uh, what God has done through us, uh, for us through Jesus Christ. There's no comparison. Uh, the, the grace of it and the mercy of it seems endless. And the security and the safety of it for those who are born from heaven, born again, the safety and foreverness of our salvation is anchored in the permanence of the character of God. We have much to celebrate in the first few chapters, and then the Bible takes us on a journey of uh, now that that is true, now that we know that to be true, what in the world do we do with it? Uh, shouldn't we, shouldn't we live in a way that somehow measures up to it? Not perfectly, but somehow it makes sense that we walk in a way that, that measures up to it that is different because of what God has done for us. We ought to look otherworldly, is what I'm saying. It ought to be okay, it ought to be acceptable for the church of Christ 
to, to look different in our character, in our attitude, in our conduct in this world. We ought to look different than the world, the lost, the unsaved, the unregenerate world around us. That's okay. And in fact, let me say, it's not okay if that's not the case. If we look just like our, ourselves before Christ, and if we look just like those outside of Christ, something is wrong. And in this case, the Bible is taking us and focusing us for a moment on the nature of the Christian family, the Christian household. And we looked last week at the uh, idea of submission. We talked about what a difficult topic that is because of the context in which we live. And we went through that thoroughly, and that sermon is, is still on the website. If you missed it, you can go back to get the context for this week's sermon. But we talked about that, uh, and, and it's okay if the world looks at us and says, well, that's kind of strange. That's a little odd how uh, this plays out in that Christian family. And today we're going to see a word to the husbands about loving our wives. Isn't it interesting to you that the wives are told to submit to their husbands as head, but in our world, the opposite of submission is what? What would you say? Control, maybe? Dominance would be the one-to-one the -one ratio would be the dominance is the opposite of submission. You might say leadership is the opposite of submission. Uh, but we see here the Bible does not command husbands to dominate their wives. That would make sense in our world. But here the Bible is not setting out to make sense in our world. The Bible is commanding us to do something totally different. And so let's read this together. <clears throat> we'll begin in verse 22, just to capture last week's or last time's text. And we'll go down to verse 33. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now let me pause. We, I should have gone back further, but right before this verse, uh, we're told that the Christians uh, submit to one another, that all of us, that submission is a part of the Christian life. Uh, we do that out of fear of Christ or out of reverence for Christ. We submit to authorities. We submit to one another here. Uh, we find uh, that we submit to leaders in the church. Uh, we submit... Um, we have an attitude of submission. Why do we do that? Because Christ had an attitude of submission. He submitted his life. And as a part of that, wives submit to your own husbands. We talked about not all manhood. All womanhood is not subjugated to all manhood. This is a relational thing to your own husband. It is relational in the family. It is a part of the Christian, a loving household as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit in everything to their husbands. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives. Now, that ought to jump out as very strange. And in the first century, when this was written, it would have jumped out as extremely strange because it was very common at that time for wives and husbands to exist in what we would see as an, an abusive state. In fact, husbands did not care for their wives. They had layers of women around them. They had uh, mistresses, very common. And so Paul is writing into a culture that would find this very strange. They had concubines 
on top of that. And finally, a wife was a ceremonial figure uh, who was to care for the needs of that household. She was dutiful. Uh, she was um, a utensil uh, for the household. And Paul writes strangely into this. He writes strangely, love agape, by the way, agapao, the, love, the, the, the highest love, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, verse 28, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a reference back to Genesis, a quotation from Genesis, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. God points Christian husbands to a very specific kind of love here. And we need to know what that is. It's described for us in three ways. Let's look at these together. First is this. God points us to a demonstrated love. He points us to a demonstrated love. Husbands, if we ever need to try to figure out, okay, we're supposed to love our wives, what does that mean? Because there's so many definitions of, of love all around us. In fact, when I do marriage, pre-marriage counseling, uh, the mindset is examined. And do you know what the very weakest mindset is going into marriage? It's a romantic mindset. It's a mindset that has to do with how this feels. Uh, what, what, what high we're riding right now, how my emotions are soaring, uh, the ideal of marriage. That's the mindset. That's somebody's definition of love. And the Bible here wants to point us, it wants to point us to God's definition of love by a husband to a wife in a Christian household. And it's clearly defined here. There is a recipe for this. This is not a love of our own defining is defined by someone else and it is demonstrated by someone else. It's demonstrated by the Lord Jesus. If you want to know how to love your wife, don't look to television, don't look to the, the world around you, don't go into the, the novels, okay? You find what, how Jesus loved his church. That is the recipe. When I was in college, college age, <clears throat> there was, I had a group of friends at my school and uh, one of the girls, we all kind of hung out at her house, and her mother made these cookies. Uh, um, unbelievable cookies. Yeah, I mean, chocolate chip cookies, she called them the Neiman Marcus cookies. Anybody ever heard of that? Okay. Apparently they're famous. They were famous to me, okay? I went over there, and it was before the internet. Now, you might say you were in college before the internet, pretty much. And uh, she had had to send off for these cookies mail in the mail had to pay for the recipe send a check it was expensive and so she sent off for the recipe she made these cookies she wouldn't tell anybody else the recipe it was a total secret to her and 
I end up going over there very frequently for these cookies. Um, so much so that people started saying, hey, is there something between you and her? And I said, her mom, because of the cookies, right? So, uh, it, was, it was the cookies. Uh, anyway, uh, so, uh, but uh, I just remember her saying, this is a very special recipe. Can I have it? No, you can't. In this case, the recipe is given to us uh, by the, the Bible. It's pointing us to the Lord Jesus. It's freely given. We have God's plan for a husband's love for his wife, which is a great blessing because we can look to Jesus. If you come from a, a family and you say, well, my dad abused my mom. You should have heard the way he talked to her. Or maybe I didn't have a dad because he abandoned my mom. Matthew, I'm scared to death. I'm going into marriage or, or I don't know how to treat uh, the lady that God brings to me because I have no example in my life. My dad was in this pattern. My grandpa was in this pattern. Alcohol was a part. Whatever the deal is, you might say, I just don't have an example. Listen, praise God, he points us to Jesus. It is Jesus who loves in such a way that we are to love our wives. You do have an example. And you don't have an excuse. You have our sympathy. I mean, you have our care. But you don't have an excuse, Christian man. When the Bible says you look to Jesus and you can see there how it is you are to love your wife. All of us are handed low expectations. Even those who, who do, do have a dad, who do have a grandpa, who do have that example. The world around us is handing young men the lowest of expectations right now. I mean, you can get by with hardly anything. The Bible says, no, that's not how it's going to be. For those in my household of faith, you are to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Let me ask you this morning. To, to what are you comparing your attitude and your affection for your wife? Are you just getting by with what the world says is okay? Or maybe even a little more than that. After all, I'm better than those around me. Are you just reverting back to the poor example that your dad and your grandfather, whoever handed down to you? No, sir. Look to the Lord Jesus. What standard is good enough when the Savior is our model? Man, we love our wives by looking to Jesus. And so what kind of love is this? It's a demonstrated love. But secondly, it's a sacrificing love. You know this. It's in the next uh, verse here, in the same verse, verse 25, the second part, and gave himself for her. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did he do it? How did he love the church? But he gave himself for her. And, and not in some flat, one-dimensional fashion. Christ loved the church. He gave himself completely for the church. He laid down his life to redeem you and me. He spared nothing of himself to call us his own. In order to love us, Jesus gave up every other lovable thing. Anything he might have wanted to hold on to, friendships, family. He might have wanted to, to stay on this world longer than 33 years just to be with his mama, right? Just to keep that relationship. He gave up his comfort. He gave up his pain. He, he, he gave in for pain. He went all in so that you and I could know God, to be saved, to be forgiven, and to be redeemed. He gave up 
everything, and not robotically even. Before we think that this was just God, who just somehow mechanically was able to chomp through these things without it affecting him, you need to remember him, remember him with me, in the garden, sweating as drops of blood in that garden, praying to God, God, is there another way that this cup could pass from me? Uh, he didn't want to do it. I mean, he, he wanted you to be saved, but if there was any other way, no, he didn't want to do it. Remember the Lord there in that garden. I want you to remember him there walking to the cruel cross. I want you to remember him there looking down at his mother from there. I want you to remember the agony of when he called out to God, God, why have you forsaken me? There was a real cost, a real cost to what God did, what Jesus did in giving himself for the church. And gentlemen, there ought to be a real cost to the way we love our wives. A cost to demands at work. A cost to your recreation and your fun. A cost to your other relationships outside of the family. A cost of your money. A cost of your time. A cost of your sleep. Your life ought to bear the marks of a costly love because your wife is worth it. I don't know if you've ever been camping. Yeah, some of y'all have. <laughs> you get very hungry uh, when you're camping, and I've been there before, and come out of backpacking through the woods, and your food's gone, and you find a little camp store or some small convenience store up in North Carolina somewhere, and you come stumbling in there, smelling bad, looking bad, and just, just would eat anything. I remember this happened to me one time with my brother, and came in there, there was a can of Vienna sausages on the shelf, right? The poor people in Vienna would be horrified to know what we've named after them, those little sausages. They come in a little can, with I think there's five around the edge, and always one in the middle, and a nice little topping of what? Jelly, that jelly stuff when it comes to Vienna sausages. I remember thinking, I'll eat anything. Here's these sausages. It was like seven bucks for that can of sausage. It's probably less than that, but I remember thinking, this is a crazy price for these sausages. But you know what I did? I scrounged together seven wet, dirty dollars and gave it to the man and garbage down those sausages, jelly and all, right? In one go. That's what we do. In that moment, <laughs> In that moment, those sausages were worth every penny. It was important enough that I would pay the price. It was more important to me to have that than it was to, to, to keep hold of those $7. I promise you, according to God's word, she is more important than you. I don't know about that. I'm not saying you have different values before God. That he values you differently. I'm not saying that, 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 that in your essence uh, that, that, that there's a difference there, that you're less than her. But I am saying you are to regard her far more highly than you do yourself. Now you say, well, I disagree with that. Well, that's what the Lord Jesus did. Even though he existed in the, the very form of God, he considered it not a thing to be, you remember? grasped, to be clutched, but he gave himself for us. He walked the road to the cross. He died for us. Jesus, and even in those final moments before his crucifixion, 
Even there in, just with his head bowed, pleading with God, oh God, oh Father, could there possibly be another way? I see them. I love them. If there's any other way, I dread this God. There was no other way. And Jesus said, yes. And in that moment, Lord, their salvation is more important than my life. He did it. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It is okay for your life to bear a cost in order to rightly love your wife. In fact, it's not okay for it not to. See, how you treasure other things. Look around and look at your life. How you treasure other things and how you treasure self will often tell the story of how you're loving your wife. How you're loving the one that God has trusted to you. What story does your life tell today? It's easy to fall in these habits. I'm not here to point fingers. Lord knows I'm the last one to be pointing fingers. But what story is your life telling today? What are the things that you're clutching to when the Bible said you need to lay it down to love your wife? A demonstrated love, a sacrificing love, but lastly, a providing love. A providing love. Verse 28 <clears throat> says this, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Just like, like Christ has done. He who loves his wife, his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. And quotes from Genesis. Therefore man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. The union of a husband and a wife, not figuratively, not as a manner of speaking, not euphemistically, but divinely and spiritually, the, the union of a husband and a wife constitutes a one fleshness. Uh, we belong to each other inseparably. We, we, we are one another. And the, the argument is clear here. It's simple but powerful that we are to care for our wives not as if we're caring for our own body, but as caring for our own body because that's in fact the thing that we're doing here. There are two words that inform this. The word nourish in my translation of the Bible. I'm not sure what yours might say, but the word nourish here is an ancient word, ektrepo, and here's what it means, to provide food with the implication of a considerable period of time. Parents of the graduates get that, don't you? You provided food for them for a considerable period of time. You might be thankful today that perhaps the trepo is coming to an end, right? Uh, it's a commitment, it's a nourishing, uh, it's a providing, it's a growing, uh, you, it's a commitment to your wife, uh, to, to nourish them just like Christ does the church. Uh, we, 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 we pro, it's, a it's a provider's role for a considerable period of time. The word cherish in my text is the word thalpo in Greek. It means to warm. But not only to warm, it has the implication of, of inviting in for warmth. 
you can think of an animal who draws uh, her young in under her wings and, and, and invites them in for warmth. It's a, it's a protective, it's a caring thing. You could think of a, a, a household who says to a stranger, you know, come in and get warm. We got nourishing, we got sheltering, we got providing, we got protecting, we got preserving, we got defending. We've got the giving of life through these things. That's what Christ does to the church, and that's what husbands are called to do for their wives. That's the type of love we're supposed to get, just like our own bodies, just like we do for our own bodies. And the Bible makes a clear argument here. You never abuse your own body. I mean, you might think of an example where somebody does that. But as a rule, you love your own body, don't you? I mean, when you've got a toothache, what do you do? You go to the doctor. Whose teeth do you brush in the morning? Unless you've got little ones. You're brushing your teeth, right? You care for yourself. You'll, you'll be surprised by this, but I'm a kind of a peculiar person. Um, I have a special toothpaste that I like. And guess what? When I run out of that toothpaste, I go get it. For who? For me. <laughs> that sounds selfish, but I do it. I have a special shampoo called Club Man. Anybody heard of that? It's an old barbershop smell. Yeah. Club Man Shampoo. I have to order it on Amazon. But when I'm out, guess what I do? I order me some more Club Man. I mean, I do it. We're good at caring for ourselves. We're good at recognizing, perceiving our needs, our hurts, our desires. We're good at that. And when we perceive them and when we sense them, we're very good at caring for those needs, right? It's your birthday, or it's my birthday, I get to, to that choose where we go eat. Somebody says, where do you want to eat for your birthday? I know exactly where I want to go right then. Shogun, the Japanese hibachi place. I want to go to Shogun. I mean, you ask me where I want to eat, I'm going to tell you an answer to that. I might add, that's more of a challenge for our wives, isn't it? Uh, it's, a, it's kind of the deep mystery of a woman's soul to ask them, where do you want to eat uh, tonight? We're good at caring for ourselves. We have to edit most of this out of the CD. Uh, anyways, <laughs> but we're good at that. And the Bible says husbands become good at doing that for your wife because indeed and in fact, she is your own flesh. Become good at recognizing what it is that her life needs. Uh, where things are unmatched for her. Uh, remember not to neglect the deep places of her soul. Uh, the, the, the Bible wants us to love our wives in this way. We are to love them as easily, as naturally, as completely, and as instantly as we care for the needs of our own body. We're to make it our mission to, to sense and to recognize and to internalize and to take personal responsibility for providing for her in a way that King Jesus would be pleased with for one of his cherished daughters. Because that's who you've got. That's who you chose. That's who you're united with, is to be a providing love. I saw on my phone this week, I started getting all these text messages Surprised me who they were from. They were from Ron DeSantis. <laughs> yeah, who knew? Um, 
I started, I've got several of them now. I mean, he's thinking about me all the time. And uh, I can show them to you on my phone. You go through them. You're Ron DeSantis. They're long. And usually they go something like this. Matthew, I care about you. You're a valuable part of what we're trying to do. I don't know how, but I am. And so you're a valuable part of what we're trying to do. And we can't do it without you. And, uh, we know what you need, and uh, just be assured you're a part of the team, and we love you, and get to the end, and it says, if you want to remain a part of the team, what do you got to do? Click on the link, yeah, and give a, little, give a little money. I guarantee once you do, you'll be far more loved by Ron DeSantis. <laughs> He'll be sending you everything. But over and over again, I, I get this. We care for you. We love you. You're a part of us. It's, you're important. Uh, if you, what? If you, if you meet a need here. Yeah, I thought about that this morning. As we're talking about the love of Christ, the love of a Christian husband for his wife, that is a, an example of the world's love, isn't it? We're, we're familiar with that kind of love. You know, a, a, a need-meeting love. I love you as long as, as long as it's fresh, or as long as she's young, or as long as she's pretty, as long as the newness doesn't wear off, and just the life and the energy is still there, I love her. So long as she doesn't need me for too much or too long, or, or going to appear to suffering or sorrow that is dragging me down. Uh, we love one another if. But the Bible teaches about a love, a love of a Savior. It says this in Romans chapter 5, For while we were still weak, before we could do anything for God, right? While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for whom? The ungodly. That was you and me. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How did Christ love the church and give himself up for her? He did it at a time when we could do nothing to him. We were sinners. We were enemies. We were strangers. We were in rebellion. We were undesirable. That's when God set his permanent love upon us. And since then, has continued to spend his love on you and me. And if you're here today, many of us know that even in this very moment, with our feet and our seats planted in this place, there are, are sins surrounding us that render us unworthy and unlovable, that render us excluded from the household of God, except for such a love and except for such a Savior. Jesus changed us and claimed us and made us his own. And when did he do it? He did it when we could do nothing back to him. Why are we able to love our lives, our wives that way? Why, does, why are we able, men, to do that in our families? It's not because it feels right, because it, it, it will feel unnatural. That will not arise out of your flesh to love someone that way. It's not because it feels right. It doesn't rise and fall on merit because she cooks good or looks good or, or whatever it is. We don't love her when she's up and, and, and not when she's down. We don't cherish her for the, the first few years and then uh, 
It's not, it's not what it once was, and we jettison that. No, we're able to love her not because it feels right, and not because of merit, not even because of who they are. Now, don't put that on a Hallmark card, right? But and I'm sure your wife is worthy of love. I'm sure you could name a dozen uh, traits of her that just oh, cause you to love her. But even if you can't, it doesn't rise and fall on there. It's not because of who they are. This unfading, otherworldly, lifelong love comes because we ourselves have been loved in exactly that same way. And have been transformed in the likeness of Christ by his great love for us. We're able to do it because God has made us new through Christ. We're not what we once were, and we're no longer citizens of this broken world. We are citizens of heaven, eternal citizens. And God has given us both the example and men the power. You do, in fact, have the ability to love your wife this way if you're a Christian, if Jesus has transformed you into his likeness. And I might add, we have the honored duty to do that. As well, And so if you're struggling here, get to know Jesus. Now, if this is not natural to you or if this is faded from your life, you don't have to look to the examples of this world. You look to the Savior. You go to his word. I'm to love my life, wife as Christ loved the church. How did he do it? And you'll look in here and you'll be in awe. Love your wife as Christ love the church. Let me pray for us. In just a moment, I'd love to give you a chance to respond. You can, of course, respond to the sermon today. If God's spoken to you in that way, maybe you need healing in your marriage. Maybe there's just much, much that you need forgiveness for in your marriage. Maybe you come today and, and uh, just bow and bend the knee here and repent before God and go to your mate and let him know that you're sorry, that you want to surrender to Christ's way. Maybe something the worship today spoke to you and you want to make a change based on what you've sung. Maybe you came here today and there's something in your heart and you know you need to draw near to God and had nothing to do with the sermon or the song, but you've got to come this morning for salvation, for baptism, for recommitment, for some other thing. Be happy to talk to you, receive you, pray with you, stand with you any way we can. Maybe today you haven't been able to live up to this because you've never known the Savior when you come in this morning. We're not going to embarrass you. We'll show you what to do. We'll stand with you and celebrate what God's done in your life. Lord, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for trusting it to us. We ask today that you would let it make a difference as we go from here. Holy Spirit, that you will continue to allow it to rest in power and in influence in our hearts. Change us. Father, we do desire, even though we don't always acknowledge it, we do desire God to live otherworldly. We do desire God not to match up to the likeness of this world. We do desire the fullness of blessings that come from following in your strange way, but Father, your good way. 
We want that. Give us the courage in our families and elsewhere. Give us the courage to really live for you. And we ask this in Jesus' name this morning.